0: Chapter 11. Respectfully, fuck you, Colonel. Luke was showered and dressed by 6 p.m. He'd been to Atlantis before and remembered the action started early, from 7 till about 10, followed by a lull during late dinner, and then balls out from midnight on. He planned to prepare accordingly. Those that didn't know him saw him as a brash pain in the ass who couldn't keep his mouth shut. Actually, those that knew him thought the same thing. But when it came to gambling, that persona worked in his favor, hiding his skills at reading people. In his mind, he didn't gamble. Occasionally he would sling dice, but only because he had developed a technique of rolling the dice in such a way that if he picked them up correctly from the table, at least one die would be a six. However, the odds weren't as good. And like his brother, Luke had the ability to perform complex mathematical calculations in his head with ease. When it came to slots, roulette, or any mechanical devices, he took a pass. Machines didn't have tells. They didn't sweat or attempt to bullshit the things that he needed in order to gain an advantage. Humans did, and he planned to lighten a few very fat wallets tonight, or better yet, lose a little, then absolutely kill the next day. He left Bosco in the suite, milled around the casino floor, checking out the action. The high-stakes room had an empty chair, and it was full of guys wearing designer tuxedos, much like his. No rentals were allowed. He grabbed $100,000 worth of chips and walked over to the gatekeeper who was chatting to the casino manager. Luke didn't actually know the manager. He had bullshitted the young receptionist. However, much like his brother, he extensively researched where he'd play and where he'd find opportunities for private games normally reserved for the ultra-rich and organized by the senior casino staff. In this case, the rumor was that Maurice himself owned the private action. Luke introduced himself and was quickly seated. He smiled to himself as he looked around the table. If he played his cards right, literally, this would be a good night. The executive dining room at Greenleaf looked like it was plucked out of a high-end country club. An assortment of Forks and spoons and knives at each place settings that were designed to confuse the barbarians and welcome the more cultured. Though not overly large, only ten tables, the high ceilings and windows gave the room an open, airy feel. The tall, heavy drapes, comfortable chairs with carved feet, and a large fireplace gave it an intimate, warm feel, much like a wealthy gentleman's study from the turn of the century. Serena led Jack to a large table in the corner where a large bank of windows boasted a breathtaking view of Lake Huron and the remnants of a magnificent sunset. The waiter came with a bottle of wine for the table and a cocktail list. Jack waved off the wine while Serena asked for a double bourbon neat. He looked at her drink with envy. His system was better suited for cannabis and mixing the two never worked out. But because his system was relatively clean, he decided to ask the waiter for a bourbon of his own. The others arrived before Jack and Serena had a chance to settle into any meaningful conversation, and Jack was more than fine with that. There was chemistry with Serena, practically sparks, and they'd covered every conceivable topic of conversation during their ride to the facility, but now he was running on empty. A business discussion would be a welcome change to dilute some of the guilt sloshing around in his head for being so initially smitten with her while he was technically still in a relationship. Magnus was dressed in the same suit and entered with a small entourage in tow. With him was Rowdy Shakes, their VP of plant operations, Dr. Daniel Stubbs, VP of product development, Carla White, their VP of marketing, and Dr. Gene Gomes, their laboratory director. Everyone was dressed impeccably with the exception of Gomes, who Jack guessed at 40 years old was trying to pass for 60. He looked like the shit end of a bad day. The fact that he carried a director title instead of VP probably explained some of that. Jack was sure he was probably given most of the grunt work. The other executives excused themselves after a quick introduction, each saying they had a previous engagement, leaving only Magnus, Serena, and Gomes. The food was good, the atmosphere was better, but the small talk was shit. Though intellectually more accomplished than any of them put together, Jack was, by nature an observer, and said very little unless spoken to directly, taking mental notes instead. Conversely, his brother Luke would have sucked the oxygen out of the room, using small talk like a magician trying to draw an audience's attention elsewhere. Jack was convinced that if Luke was there, he'd land Magnus in the palm of his hand, set up a poker game, and by daybreak be the proud owner of a new, very large cannabis facility. Jack turned his attention back to Magnus. There was no question that he was the not-so-benevolent dictator, showing an inability to relax, making sure to point out the failings of others during casual conversation. Gomes and Serena nodded at everything Magnus said. By dessert, Jack was convinced that Magnus was a complete narcissist who lacked original thought. Jack occasionally took note of Gomes. He wasn't doing much of anything except trying to smile at the occasional joke a smile that looked more like a facial tick. He looked positively bored. With his ashen looks and dilated pupils, Jack's first thought was that the guy was in some sort of chemically induced state of forced wakefulness. The meal officially ended at 8.30 when Magnus abruptly raised his hands and proclaimed that they needed to give Jack a tour of the grow area in the lab. It appeared that Magnus intended to get his money's worth while Jack was there. They visited each of the grow areas. Magnus chose not to wear a lab coat, hairnet, or the shoe covers, so Jack, Serena, and Gomes abstained as well. As they walked through the first grow room, an alarm went off. Magnus looked at each of them. Is that the hairnet alarm? Jack asked sarcastically. Nope, that's the electronics detection system we had installed. No outside electronics are allowed in here. Do you have a mobile phone with you, Mr. Glasser? No. Your guard took mine. Jack opened his jacket with both hands, inviting them to look. Serena fumbled around in her coat pocket as well, feeling the outline of Jack's phone. Damn, she thought. I can't believe I forgot this. She looked at Magnus furtively. Must be my watch, she said, showing her smartwatch. Be back in a sec. Shit, 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 Serena whispered as she walked around the corner. This thing can't be emitting a signal. I turned it off. She realized that lifting Jack's phone was a bad idea. If this thing was a non-standard device, she needed to put it somewhere where it couldn't be found. Better yet, where there would be no chance of any tracking signal leaking out. Something encased in lead would be even better. She looked up and saw she was standing against the wall of the massive vault. That should work, she thought. She walked down the hall and found a telephone hanging on one of the columns and called Rowdy Shake. She didn't give him all the details, however, she carried enough clout that she didn't have to. When she said she needed to put something important in the safe, he gave her the code and she opened the massively thick steel door. No phone signal in this thing, right? she asked the guard inside. Nope, said shaking his head. She stashed the phone in one of the counting rooms in a small basket on top shelf. Thanks, she said, quickly powering down her watch, stashing it in her pocket as she dashed back to the grow room. Jack rolled his eyes at her when she returned, as if she'd put him through some unbearable ordeal. This guy loves the sound of his own voice, he whispered, while looking at Magnus. She frowned as they resumed their tour, following Magnus's lead as he walked through the endless rows of containerized plants and pointing out the differences among them taking time to point out that each plant had its own seed-to-sale barcode tracking number, sprinkler head with customized liquid fertilizer regimen, and unique identifier identifying the strain and lineage of each plant. There were at least 1,000 plants in each room, and throughout the facility, 28 different varieties being grown at one time, with 30 or so additional strains being tested in their research and development room. Jack was bored out of his skull, and it happened in a record time of 30 minutes. Anyone other than Jack would have been asleep and drooling. That was another unintended consequence of the big experiment that he'd been subjected to in his youth, similar to his neural accelerator. Synaptic ladders were continually being built, torn down, and rebuilt at the speed of thought. No matter the situation or conversation, he had an inability to block out new information. He walked behind Magnus, visibly uninterested, but at the same time filing everything away in his supercomputer mind. Every word that Magnus uttered, every barcode and plant strain that he saw, as well as a detailed inventory list of floor diagrams, were cataloged in his mind. I'm sorry if I'm boring you, Mr. Glasser, Magnus said, visibly annoyed. Not at all, Jack replied. Excuse me if I'm asking too much. But I'm paying a lot of money to have someone who appears to be focused on anything other than what I'm saying, Magnus said. strain specific biomarkers, Jack replied. That's what you were talking about. I'm sorry if I don't seem to be paying attention, but I assure you I am. It's just been a long day, Jack said, leaving out the fact that Magnus was boring the shit out of him. Magnus visibly softened. Ah, I understand. Maybe it is best we call it a night so we can get going early in the morning. Gomes looked the most relieved of anyone. He hadn't said a word the entire time, just head nodding to every word Magnus uttered. They began to leave when something out of place caught Jack's eye at the far end of the grow facility. What's that? he asked, pointing to an area a hundred yards away. Only a few plants visible through the tall white dividing curtains that cordoned off the area. Oh, yeah, that's our employee garden area, Gomes quickly chimed in. Looks like corn, Jack said. Uh, yeah, there's corn and other vegetables. We use that as the employee garden. It's, um, one of the perks is fresh veggies, Gomes replied. Interesting. Can I see it? Jack asked. Jack caught Magnus shooting Gomes a quick look out of the corner of his eye. It's late, Mr. Glasser. I know you need rest and an employee vegetable garden is probably the least interesting aspect of our facility, considering the new species we believe we've created, Magnus said. A few awkward moments ensued, then Jack acquiesced. They dispersed quickly, Serena and Jack going back to their rooms. Ten minutes later, he found himself in bed at the edge of a deep sleep, wondering why Dr. Gene Gomes creeped him out and eyeing the architectural incongruencies in his room. He couldn't explain it, but went to sleep with an inkling of a thought that he was being watched. By 10 p.m., Luke was down to 25,000, and had just asked for another 100,000 in chips and a sixth bourbon. The old saying goes, if you can't figure out who the sucker at the table is within 30 minutes, then you're the sucker. To everyone at the table, Luke was the sucker. He drank too much, wouldn't shut up, and reliably lost nearly every hand. He was becoming everybody's best friend. They had no clue that he could drink all night and never lose a step. 10.30 came and the table thinned out. Dinner plans were discussed and wives began to show up. Luke took this as his cue and made his way to the dining room. Dining alone in plain sight, playing the part of the lone wounded wildebeest on a savanna full of lions. The striking, auburn-haired woman who had watched him check in wore a slim black dress, accentuating her curves and matching her fingernail polish. Her intention had been to get close to him while he gambled. However, the high-stakes room was kept free of casual onlookers. She was about to approach him at his dining table, but was beat to the punch when Maurice, the casino manager, pulled up a chair at Luke's table. Do you mind if I join you? Maurice asked. How much will it cost me? Luke asked with a grin, gesturing for him to sit. On the house, Maurice said, smiling. The room was a little rough in it tonight, eh? He referenced Luke's lackluster performance. Ebbs and flows, just ebbs and flows, Luke said. So, you gonna kneecap a few of those bastards and get some of my money back, Luke asked? There'd be nobody left standing if I did that to everyone who'd taken money from me, Maurice chuckled. Maurice quickly pivoted and lowered his voice in a conspiratorial tone. I don't know if you'd be interested, but there's a private game tomorrow? Evening at the home of one of the locals? Higher stakes, but much more intimate. You're welcome to join. This was exactly what Luke had hoped for. He knew Maurice normally had several private games going on outside the casino, and he had baited him perfectly. That sounds like an invitation to get passed around like a French hooker, Luke replied. Oh, you're French? Funny, Luke laughed. Hypothetically speaking, if I was interested, and I'm not saying I am, what'll I need to bring? Luke pretending to be wary of the table stakes. Well, if you were to join us, hypothetically of course, it's a minimum of 200000 to get in the door, just to show you're serious. But that's it, they play no limit. If your budget won't allow, then I'd understand. Maurice deftly did the takeaway, which Luke was sure had worked on quite a few suckers. Luke twirled the bourbon in his glass as if looking at a crystal ball. Well, shit, it's not like my luck can get any worse. I think I'm due for a change. As you say, ebbs and flows, Maurice repeated Luke's mantra. Maurice wrote the address on a private business card and left it on the table. Luke walked back to his room for the night, smiling all the way. An hour later, the auburn-haired woman stood in the casino lobby, feet hurting from too much time in stiletto heels. She spoke into her phone. He's down for the night. Couldn't get close to him. God damn, said the gruff voice on the other end. Some bitch sleeps a lot. I'll pick it up tomorrow, she said. You could always knock on his door and offer your services, the man added. Respectfully, fuck you, Colonel, sir, she hung up smiling.